1: Hello and a hearty welcome to Out to Lunch. This is where I chat to the creme de la creme of guests over a few courses of the finest food. We eat, we drink, we relax, and they then elegantly spill the finest beans, as it were. Now today I talked to a wonderfully talented singer-songwriter over a food delivery and a video link. Her roots are in jazz, all the best peoples are, and she then moved with enviable ease into the world of pop with huge success. She's been mentored by Prince, been a judge on TV's The Voice, starred in the Batman prequel Pennyworth, and has just released her fifth album. It's the multi-talented Paloma Faith.
0: I've also been told off for telling Samuel L. Jackson what to do. <laughs> The PA just whispered in my ears, like, said, even Tarantino doesn't direct him.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Hello, Paloma. Hi. (laughs) Hello. Thank you very much for agreeing to have lunch with me. Yours is on its way from very nearby, from Dalston. I won't yeah. say because it's approaching from a place called Untitled, where a great chef called Jay Morjaria cooks. Mine, uh, it's a little a little behind, but you should you should get into yours when it arrives. This isn't really a foodie podcast. The lunch is sort of the vehicle upon which we we chat. I was struck that you talk about having memories of marzipan, eating marzipan with your mum while watching EastEnders when you were a kid.
0: We used to buy the block that was for bakers and just cut bits off it. <laughs>
1: Seriously? <laughs>
0: yeah. So it wasn't like a beautiful thing. It was like the one you're meant to roll out and put over a cake.
1: And were you allowed little nibbles of this in front of Stenders of a Knight?
0: More than little nibbles, yeah. Just quite large chunks of it. I was talking the other day about how now because obviously like I've got one baby on the way and I've got a four-year-old already and how like everything's so different to when we grew up like I was making tiramisu the other day which will go up on my social media quite funny it's me trying to like show people how to be impressive without being very impressive but (laughs) in the tiramisu you have to use those sponge finger biscuits don't you Yeah, yeah yeah and they're covered in sugar and I remember like that people used to just give those to babies. I know. And nowadays, like, everyone's like, no, don't do that.
1: But it does actually strike me, looking at stories about you, that food is quite a big thing with you. Yeah. You like your food. You talked once about having a relationship with a, with someone who was a chef, and you said you were quite fat but happy because you came home every night and there was three courses on the table.
0: Totally. And I actually think that I should have not been with that person for, for as long as I was, but um it was probably the food that was keeping me
1: (laughs) (laughs) you stayed for the cooking yeah (laughs) when you were a student a dance student in Leeds your mum would phone you up and you would be you know say what you're eating and it was major constructions in the kitchen
0: I never really was that into drinking so I had to spend my student loan on more wonderful (laughs) things because at dance college we used to have like a nutritionist and she'd be like assessing what I ate and she said her conclusion was you eat a really amazing diet and I wish the other students would eat the way you do but you just eat too much. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Darling it's been said to me all my life. So, <laughs> One of the things that came from that time in Leeds is the character in Pennyworth yeah. Bet Sykes. I was just wondering if you could say the line, hello, love, would you like a boiled sweet to me? <laughs> it would take me back.
0: Hello, love, would you like a boiled sweet? <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's so brilliantly menacing. It's so fantastically menacing. We'll we'll come back to that. Going, going back to you, you grew up in North London and, and your mum was a, a single mum.
0: Yeah, but I went to my dad's at weekends and my dad was the chef.
1: Oh, was he? He's not he? an
0: actual chef. He's the most incredible cook I've ever met. You know, credit where credit's due, he can really cook. And I think that I learned my own sort of cooking skills from the men in my life, because my mum wasn't really that into cooking. Like, she's not a terrible cook. She will just make what's simple. And my stepfather, who's of Chinese origin, and my dad, who's Spanish were the ones who taught me about my passion for food. You know how everyone's got their, like, last meal that they'd have on death row? Well, I, I might just... have written a whole
1: book about that, so yes, yeah. I do know about that. Well,
0: I just can't choose between dim sum or paella. It's obvious to me why, because they're, like, my childhood really comfort foods, because that's what I ate. Thank you. Oh.
1: Ah, goodbye. food has arrived. Right, I'll tell you what you've got in there. So you have what's called a samba. It's
0: a bag that's titled "Just Leaves."
1: Ah, now I'll tell you about that. So samba is um, you get you've had some barbecued, really meaty mushrooms. And there'll be a whole bunch of sauces, and you're meant to wrap them in the sand. Which and the sand means to wrap, really. This is Korean. You've got stir-fried aubergines with cocoa samjang, which is another Korean sauce. Uh, panko crumb, but it's gluten-free. Um, there's roasted Kent potatoes with a sweet soy glaze and sesame aoyi, and there's japchae noodles with red curry squash and kale. So oh yes. What, which one have you gone straight into? That's Palema? the
0: aubergine.
1: Uh, Jay Morjaria, who's the chef. He cooks at this place called Untitled in Dalston. I did feel very old going there because there's thumping beats. Was and it full of
0: hipsters?
1: Of... There were young people, <laughs> which is pretty much anybody younger than, you know, anybody in the world now where I've got to. Um, <laughs> but, but the food was fantastic. You've probably got a whole bunch of things you can open and look in and.
0: Potatoes. I'm is... absolutely. Elated I can eat these potatoes today because I just passed my gestational diabetes
1: test. <laughs> Muzzle-toffers, my people Because I'm sir. pregnant. <laughs>
0: and I was, all I was worried about was whether I could eat potatoes and chocolate.
1: Well, potatoes, you're in. You're fine. But I hope those potatoes are really, really good. You know, if I look at all the things you did, you were a magician's assistant, life model. Uh, you worked in uh, agent provocateur. Um, And I know that came with wearing a costume. And you once said, when asked what links all these things, it was a desire to be looked at.
0: I did really enjoy being looked at. I still do. And I think it's really bad because they always say, don't pin your happiness on anyone else. But my happiness is deeply (laughs) pinned on the validation of the public. And when I don't get it, I feel very sad. (laughs) No, it's a confession.
1: No, it's a brilliant confession. I
0: was watching The Crown. I was talking to a non-performer or non-person in the public eye about it. And she was like, I mean, she did want all the attention, didn't she? And I was like, yeah, so, so do I. What's wrong with that? I'm thinking I'm Diana now, Queen of no, Hearts. No, no, that's fine. You channel like, Diana, what, Queen of Hearts. Go on. What's this? It's like, what's wrong with me going, oh, actually, do you know what? Um, yeah, I quite like it as well. I don't I don't see that as like a negative thing. Some people do just want attention. Some people don't want attention and there's room for everybody. The only thing that's really annoying about people who want attention, and I've probably done it, is when they misread the time that you're supposed to get <laughs> attention. So it's like turning well, up. Get the somebody, fuck off! Yeah, yeah, turning up somebody's wedding, looking better than the bride, for example.
1: Paloma, have you done that?
0: Of course, every time <laughs> and funerals. <laughs>
1: um.
0: Always look better than the corpse.
1: Always look better than the corpse. Yeah. Was that what was going through your head when you took the the magician's assistant job? And was the magician any good? I I don't think that all
0: of this was ever conscious at first. Like, it's all stuff that I've kind of, over the period of my life and seven years of therapy, come to terms with. I've got kimchi here.
1: Excellent. I'm a big fan
0: of kimchi. Well, Um,
1: it's all... Brilliant for your (laughs) biome as well, apparently. Not that I necessarily subscribe to all that. Oh, I've got my noodles, by the way. So my food has travelled across oceans of time to be here. So I've got the Japchai noodles with squash and kale.
0: Those noodles are amazing.
1: Aren't they, Just Sort of sweet and sour. If you're going to
0: go there and you only order one thing, it's them.
1: You've almost said that finding your voice and your style of singing was an act of will on your part.
0: Yeah, and I think it was the same sort of thing that motivated me to learn to read. I just made the decision when I wanted to start learning myself and I was quite dreamlike, I was quite whimsical as a kid. And I feel like this is what happened with this. I, I definitely am a performer before I'm a musician and I think a lot of people come to music because they're musicians and then learn to perform. Mine was the other way around. I'd been performing in cabaret clubs doing like the odd song as part of like a bigger performance and then someone talent spotted me there and was like I really want to work with you and I started to write songs with this person eventually I got signed my first record deal which was in 2007 I sort of if I'm honest just thought oh this will be like a little chapter in my life where I'll have done something a bit wild and I'll go I had a record deal once. <laughs> like it wouldn't be, it definitely It wasn't didn't, a,
1: a career plan?
0: No, because I always felt like an outsider and I always felt that people just wouldn't think I was good enough. So it started off like that and then the first album came out and a few little accidents happened that ended up being sort of what they call the making of you. Yeah, go on. One of them was that... In my first tour, no, it was like my second tour, and I, I never spoke, and all of it was about performance and performance art and stuff. And um, there was a power cut, but the mic still worked, but none of the music was coming out, and I just went, "Well, that ruined the illusion, didn't it?" And the whole yeah. crowd just erupted into laughter. And I sat on the edge of the stage and I said, well, I suppose now's the big moment where I show you who I really am. Isn't it disappointing? And I was just like telling them stories about my week. And How long um, did you feel for? Maybe like 10 minutes. I felt awful and I was so apologetic. And my record company came over and were like, that has to stay. That's got to be part of what you do.
1: But have you always been comfortable with the idea of being in the public eye i tell you, you what
0: say. i'm really comfortable with that i don't think many people are comfortable with yeah and that's making mistakes in public i think the reason why people keep coming back is because if something goes wrong i would never pretend that it hadn't gone wrong i'd be like well that was rubbish <laughs> and people just love that and it happens what? at gigs like I I mean, like I might forget the lyrics or something, and then I'm like, oh, God, if you want a refund. And everyone's like (laughs) just laughing, and I'm like, no, let me get this right, let me get this right. Help me, someone help me, and then I'll get someone out of the audience. It's sort of like old-school entertainment in that way. It's just not as polished.
1: Except the funny thing is I think the ability to work with an audience and relate to them in that way. is very old school.
0: It's definitely inspired by a lot of the old early jazz records that I was played when I was a kid. There's this big one called um, Frank Sinatra with the Count Basie Orchestra Live. At uh, he- the Sands. Yeah. Do you it's know it? it? It's brilliant,
1: isn't it? I think it's the greatest live recording of all time. I'm a bit grand on that one. I really think Sinatra at the Sands, 1963. Yeah. Who let all these people into my room? Yeah. It's just... It's got Quincy Jones as the MD of the Count Basie Orchestra. Well,
0: that I listened to a lot as a kid, and I feel like that really inspired the way that I talk to people. When he says that, who let you all into my room? It's like immediately shrinks the room, and it makes you feel welcome and warm and like you've just been invited round to his house. And that's sort of what I loved about it and what I, I think that definitely... Haha, <laughs>
1: to use a pun, got under my skin. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, people are now squinting, going, why is that a pun? Because one of the songs he does is I've Got You Under My Skin. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Also from something else. In
0: July 2020, Ghislaine Maxwell was charged with recruiting underage girls for Jeffrey Epstein. Well, it
1: turns out this isn't her first scandal. Robert Maxwell was going missing. Ghislaine's father was a media mogul. We had two really big media moguls. One was Rupert Murdoch, and then there was Robert Maxwell. He died mysteriously in disgrace. The more you know him, the more you dislike him. That led Ghislaine to Epstein. Daddy's little grifter. That's this season on the podcast Power the Maxwells subscribe now but you you have said that early on there was some sort of you know the phrase imposter syndrome kicking in tell me about the, the moment you you played at a, a gig and prince was watching you
0: oh my god i felt awful i'd been invited to open for prince at his own festival so he booked it that was after my first album I thought the greatest living musician knows I exist, has listened to my album and asked me to come and do a gig. I couldn't believe it. So I went up there and I did my performance. I did feel a bit like, oh, God, he's just realized how untalented I am. But I could survive. There was no tears at that point. The next day, I'm stood on the side of stage and Shaka Khan's on stage and Prince has asked me to go and watch all these shows with him. 'Cause he wanted to talk me through like why they what was successful, how I could learn from each thing, sort of mentoring. And Shaka Khan's security guard came over and put mic in my hand and said, Shaka would like you to go on and sing this song with her. <coughs> and it what was What was the song? It was I'm every woman. There's no warning. So I know the chorus, but I don't really know the verse. Anyway, I said, I don't really know it. And he said, nobody says no to Shaka. <laughs> and he pushed me on stage holding this microphone. I walk on stage and it's I'm Every Woman. And Shaka's like, this blow of fade, everybody with your hands together. And I'm like, whoa, just fake it till you make it. Mm. She points at me for a verse and I didn't know it. And I was like, I don't know this verse, the second verse. So she took over, and then I sort of ad libbed, and I sung the choruses, and I ad libbed, and then at the end, this is in front of about forty thousand people. She puts her arm around me, and she goes, "You can sing, girl, but I need to teach you that song." And I'm <laughs> like, "Ha ha ha!" And then I go off stage, back to my um like little bunker trailer thing, and I just burst out crying. And this was I was only one album in. And I called my mum, and I was like, "I want to do a PGCE. <laughs> I wanted to train to be a primary school teacher like her." And I was like, "And I was like, oh, I'm just weird. they've just realised how untalented I am, and I've just bitten off more than I can chew, and it was too much." And then I walked out of my trailer, and um, there was about 25 people from Janelle Monae's band and crew outside my trailer just like clapping for me going you're so dope you're awesome and I was like oh my god like what are you talking about I was like they were like why have you been crying I was like that was the worst thing I've ever done I feel awful and they were like no it was amazing I was just so overwhelmed and I probably wasn't amazing but I probably wasn't quite as bad as I thought I was um, Prince was like, that was cool. And I was like, no, it wasn't. It was really embarrassing and I feel awful and I'm sorry. And he just laughed at me. And then he made me like go with him to one of his secret gigs and do a few songs there with the band. I was doing some Etta James. He was like, this is cool. He was so nice to You do to have me. an
1: Etta James thing going on in your voice. You know that. I, lo- I love that. Her. Obviously. Yeah. yeah, yeah, she's fabulous. I have to tell you, I have just been sent a picture of you on stage with Chaka. Celine has found it while, uh, while we've been talking in the, in the Miracle production. And for someone who says they were sort of uncomfortable with it, you look fabulous.
0: I told you I was a performer. Yeah. <laughs> I am a performer first and foremost, so you just would never know.
1: One of the clips I watched was you performing it upside down at the prom in 2014 with the Guy Barker big band. At the moment I heard the sound, I thought, Christ, I'm going to know somebody on the stage, and then Guy turns around. Anybody who doesn't know, Guy Barker is the arranger uh, of big band music with orchestra, a stunning sound, amazing man. And I talked to him about you, shamelessly. I think <laughs> he's done probably 70 arrangements for you, Yeah, he's like got that. a
0: few suitcases. You
1: know, I said, so, so what's Paloma like? And he said, she's brilliant, she knows exactly what she wants. Do you think that's fair?
0: I don't always know, but I always make sure that everyone thinks that I'm sure. <laughs> because <laughs> i think it makes people feel a bit um insecure and it's actually better for the show if everyone's like she knows what she wants but everyone feels really secure and that, that it gels better that's really important when playing with that many people that there's no room for doubt
1: what's the point he, he talked about how you sat down next to him and he was going to do a big string arrangement the rhythm section in first, strings in later. And you went, no, 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 I want the strings in first. And then you sang him the, the bass section and that, bloody hell, you know, I've known Guy for a very long time. I'd be terrified. And you're clearly not.
0: No, I've also been told off for telling Samuel L. Jackson what to
1: do. <laughs> what did you tell Samuel L. Jackson to do?
0: Well, he was like the intro of um, my album, The Architect, and I'd written... This thing for him to read. And as a favour to me, because I did some favours for his charity, he was like, pull in the favour anytime. So I was like, can you read this on the beginning of my album? And he did. And I was like, now can we just do another version where you're a bit like this? And he looked at me and he went, maybe you got the wrong guy. And I was like, Sam, just like really hamming up the innocence. I was like, Sam, no, I'm so sorry. You know, you're absolutely the right guy. I just wanted to try something different because I haven't fully understood what I really want yet. And then the PA just whispered in my ears, like said, even Tarantino doesn't direct
1: him. (laughs) (laughs) But did he do it? Did he do it a different way? He He did it. Yeah, he did
0: three different ways for me, and he was cracking up, laughing at the audacity. You know. And then afterwards, we hung out for a couple of hours, got takeaway chatting about music. We had a really nice day. He basically sort of said, like, if anybody ever did that to me, I'd just tell them to F off. But because it was you, I just thought, I'll just do
1: it. (laughs) Just go with it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I was curious when you chose to release Make Your Own Kind of Music with a video essentially paid for by Skoda. Which was a really interesting move because, as most people know, the music industry as a financial model has completely changed. But did you hesitate over doing that with Skoda?
0: The reason why I didn't hesitate with Skoda is because of the associations I had with the car per- personally, which was that it was always something you were teased about having at school.
1: What did your mum have a Skoda?
0: No, but it was like a, it was an insult at school. Your mum drives a Skoda. <laughs> <Was
1: it? laughs>
0: <laughs> so i just like felt sort of an affinity with it conceptually
1: <laughs> so, what well, you 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 would be be out there batting for the underdog well,
0: yeah well i sort of felt like i was a skoda <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: well, i'm the skoda of pop
0: yeah i'm the skoda of pop
1: if you haven't seen it go and look up make your own kind of music your cover of uh, the Mamas and Papas tune and the video was also Possibly your most autobiographical, wasn't it? Particularly a scene in there where your character is doing an audition in front of a man who's texting all the way through and gets cross. That actually happened, didn't it? Yeah.
0: It was the first time that I'd ever been approached by a record company and I was doing a showcase for the head of what is still my label, but he's no longer there. We were playing and he was text messaging while we were playing. So I just stopped the band and then he looked up from his phone and he said, why have you stopped? And I said, oh, cause I'm waiting for you to finish your text. And he was like, oh, okay, <sighs> sorry. And I said, it's okay. It's just that I've, I don't think it's fair on the musicians.
1: No, it's rude. It's staggeringly rude.
0: I didn't hear anything back until nine months later. Um, he wrote to me on MySpace, and he was like, "Oh, I um, I I see it, you know, a good three four different new acts a week, and I can't stop thinking about you in particular. I'd really like you to come in and discuss potentially work signing to us." Um, and I just wrote back, "Sorry, who is this?" <laughs>
1: <laughs> Round <of> applause. <laughs> did you know who it was yeah yeah okay
0: and then he had to write back saying oh sorry i did not know um if you remember but you did a showcase for
1: me. i hadn't fantastic.
0: actually done a showcase for any other label but i was just pretending that they were all <laughs> clambering i found the whole thing quite a joke because i never really thought that would be my life as i said it's not it wasn't in my plan. When I first put my band together, they said two weeks. And I just went round London and asked buskers to do it with me because I didn't know any musicians. It did work for a time until they all ended up on the wrong end of a crack pipe.
1: <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I have to say, I, uh, I hired the musicians for my wedding from from the Tube. Yeah. I found fa- I found this brilliant jazz violinist. Um, at Oxford Circus Tube, got a card off him and booked him for my wedding. It was fantastic, um, but I, I don't know what happened to him regarding narcotics at all. So I'm sure <laughs> he's fine. Um, I'm sure, sure he's gone on to have a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant career. Um, the new album, Infinite Things, yeah, uh, is is the lockdown album, isn't it? Because most of it, am I right? You sang your vocals. I don't know right where you're sitting yes, right now, yes. or not far away.
0: Onto this microphone.
1: You've talked about how you learned a lot of your singing with pub bands, really noisy, noisy ones, so you can't sing quietly. Yeah. How was it recording and engineering your own vocals by yourself? That I really be- like it-, it.
0: I think that the product is better than any other recording that I've released. And a lot of people who are nerdy about my music agree. Yeah, I I really liked it. I felt like the lack of inhibition, like that solitary nature of just um, performing when I felt like it, like getting, you know, the urge to do it and then going to do it at night, any time of day. It was just so freeing and liberating. And I feel like the the consequences are that you get much rawer version of me singing like much less edited which I prefer personally because I feel like in this modern music there's such an inclination towards like tweaking everything all the time and because of the way that I recorded it that that wasn't a possibility
1: was it odd to sing with nobody looking at you
0: no I liked it in this instance because it felt quite autobiographical and it felt very intimate the the subject
1: I have to say, the, the video of gold, so it's shot on a, well, you come through a market, which looks to me like one of the hackney markets, I yeah, could be Yeah, Roman wrong. Road. And then you go into a building site, and there is this huge fuck-off digger um, swinging round. Was it some huge risk assessment, or was this in the middle of lockdown when nobody gave a toss?
0: I think it was the latter. <laughs> they were more worried about me dying of COVID than falling out of the digger. <laughs>
1: It's a fantastic video.
0: Thank you. And I was pregnant. And it was 38 degrees.
1: And You see the sticker go round and you just know that at some point you're going to get in the bucket, that it has to happen <laughs> um, eventually and it, and it doesn't disappoint. And what about the acting? Um, Pennyworth is fantastic. It's gone to two series. So Pennyworth, which is the sort of backstory, origin story of Alfred Pennyworth, who goes on to be Batman's butler, is set in a kind of alternative... British universe, I think it's fair to say. Did you enjoy that process? Oh, I love it.
0: I just love my character. It's so freeing doing something as a collective rather than just being, like, the only one. I don't know, it's just lovely. It's liberating not having to make all the decisions and direct, light, you know, write <laughs> or everything.
1: But you focused on yourself and became, you know, Bette Sykes who is the woman who, who walks from place to place instructing people to hurt other people. Was it fun finding Bet Sykes?
0: It was fun. I had to watch a lot of quite harrowing documentaries about serial killers.
1: You felt that was absolutely vital to the role?
0: Uh, I was told that it was by the director's. I really love that. I'm excited for people to see season two, though, because you get to see a bit of a softer side of her and you get like a bit more of an insight into her. And I think the lines are a bit blurred now and pennyworth between who's a hero and who's a villain. I think that's clever because they are blurred, aren't they? In life.
1: Absolutely. They definitely are. By the way, how's your food going? I'm now surrounded by aubergine with lots of gudgeon.
0: I'm so full already and I normally eat really fast so I don't notice how full I am but because we're eating slower I'm full already
1: Uh, all right well I've eaten all
0: the noodles which is a testament to them and I've tasted everything else which is divine
1: good so Jay Majaria at Untitled in Dalston because they've they've gone the extra mile not least getting food down to me it's
0: getting them absolute thumbs up
1: Paloma this has been fabulous I'm glad we managed to make this work oh
0: thank you Um... I was delicious
1: It sort of only remains for me to say, uh, Paloma Faye, thank you very much for staying in for lunch with me. Thank you. Paloma was brilliant fun. Um, We ate courtesy of the wonderful chef, Jay Majoria, who's currently cooking his superb Asian-inspired food at a bar in Dalston, North London, called Untitled. Do look it up. Uh, And please do share the love for this podcast with friends and family and let them know we're here. You can forward the link to this episode from the app if you fancy. would also love you to rate, comment and give us a few stars. I think five. Five is the right amount because it helps us to keep making more. Out to Lunch is a Something Else in Jay Rayner production. The music was written, arranged and performed by me, Jay Rayner and Robert Rickenberg. The mix engineer was Josh Gibbs. Rosie Marotra was the assistant producer. The producer is Selena Rehm and the executive producer is Darby Doris. Additional production is from Steve Ackerman. Next time, it's actor, screenwriter and director Noel Clark. The barbers that I used to go to at the time said, if you do that show, you can't come back in it. Did it give you pause? Oh, was terrified.